Jesus. God, we're so grateful. Thank you for your sweet spirit that's here. Thank you for ministering to us tonight. Bless this Bible study in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, at the onset, and, and by the way, you should have your lesson handout. They're going to be talking about uh, teaching about freedom of forgiveness. Um, but before you guess it on your own, either Brother Cross hacked my computer or I hacked his computer. And uh, so what he, what he uh, preached about Sunday morning is really a, a mirror image of what I'm going to be teaching about today. Uh, in many ways, and so um, God actually gave me this um, lesson last week. The interesting thing is that God gave me the lesson, but I wasn't on the schedule for a while on Wednesday nights, and I'm like, all right, Lord, why did you give me the lesson? And, uh, and so the individual that was going to teach tonight uh, didn't feel like, uh, and I'll, I'll say it with Brother James, he, he was not, won't be embarrassed by this, just didn't feel like he had the lesson, and so he let me know yesterday, and I said, well, pray about it and see if God gives you something last night, and he didn't, and so I just, I really feel like the reason the Lord didn't give him a message was because the Lord wanted me to teach this tonight. A and so I'm grateful that we as the people of God could just work together and uh, so, again, uh, really, I give honor to uh, Brother Cross and what he uh, ministered to us on Sunday morning. I think, uh, I think it was just excellent. It was phenomenal. And uh, so I I'm grateful for that. Now, there's no way I'm going to finish this lesson tonight. Just absolutely no way. It's gonna, you know, I don't know how many pages I'll get into it, but it's just no way. So don't be afraid. If we only get three, four, five pages into it, don't think, oh, Lord, he's going to keep us here till 10 o'clock or anything like that. I'll do my best. If I go past 9 o'clock, somebody jump up, wave your hand, shout, scream, say, i got to go to bed. All right? What? So. Yeah? Okay. Well, it, I'd never taught there, so it wasn't this lesson. <laughs> so it was probably a very similar lesson. Uh, let's Now, let me... Um, uh, let me read the first scripture here in Second Corinthians chapter, uh, I mean, sorry, Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse fourteen. It says, "If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land." So I want to start out today again. The microphone is there, so I, I want I want there to be a little bit of give and take. I want to ask a question first. I know it's not in your notes. What is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Somebody help me out this morning. What is forgiveness? Do you want to kind of give me an example, or maybe not an example, but a definition of what forgiveness is? Is that microphone on? I hope it is. Yes, good. opening scriptures that Reverend Milton uh, used, um, love holds no record mm -hmm. of wrongdoing, and I personally can't say that I forgive someone and four years from now I'll bring to recollection something that they did. Mm -hmm. um, so God's standard of 
forgiveness uh, far surpasses what we hold ourselves accountable to. Uh, so when I, when I, when or if I do find myself uh, not accepting what the Lord defines as forgiveness, I must ask myself, then what is truly in my heart that's not allowing me to do so? And so um, I can't say that that's happened in quite some time, many, many moons ago. But I thank the Lord that I can go to him at any time and tell him, listen, Lord, you know, there's something that I just can't get over. Can you help me? Can I bring this to you so that you can help me with it? Because it's just too heavy for me. Amen. Amen. Excellent. Again, uh, Brother Cross is coming. So what is forgiveness? Go ahead. Uh, yeah, it appears forgiveness is that someone has wronged you uh, and they're guilty. They should be punished. But you don't give them the punishment. You step in freely, you release them. Even though it hurt you and they did it wrong, but you kind of release them. That kind of appears what forgiveness is. Amen. The uh, good good points here, really good points. Um, the, the dictionary definition says that forgiveness is to, uh, to cease from... Uh, from resentment against somebody. It also says to grant relief from payment. And then a third definition is this, is to cancel a debt, to cancel a debt. And so let's get into the lesson a little bit. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, we're going to break it down. It says, if my people, and the first point that he says here is humble themselves. When we think about humbling ourselves, that really refers to repentance. And, uh, in fact, let me read the scripture. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So when it says humble themselves, that is speaking about repentance. When it, uh, when it says pray, it's talking about having a relationship with God. And then when it talks about seeking my face, that's talking about intercession uh, and then when it says, turn from their wicked ways, that really is the final act of true, heart-rending, life-changing repentance. And I believe this, that if, if, we, if we or anybody repent, it will change our life. And so uh, if we're going to have true repentance in our lives, it is going to change us. Uh, then it says, then will I hear from heaven. Uh, this is the beginning of of the outpouring or when God begins to give back or pour back into us. It goes on, it says, and I will forgive their sin, heal their land, uh, which means inner healing. It talks about restoration uh, or, and or the restoration of the glory of God. So notice this in our notes. It says there is a place where God's spirit resides, a resident anointing. Um. I think if I were to ask all of you, every one of you here tonight has felt the presence of God. Every one of you uh, has felt the presence of God strong at times. But beyond uh, what we talk about that, that time of uh, powerful moving of God on our hearts and our lives, there is that continual resident anointing that always is there, the presence of God that is always there. Uh, this is more than just from time to time. It is an abiding presence of God. And let me kind of say it like this. I don't believe that we should uh, be full of the Spirit of God one day and empty the next day. 
I, 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 there's just something wrong to have that kind of a huge roller coaster. Uh, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm high. I'm hanging from the chandeliers. I'm jumping three or four pews all in one, one bound. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just uh, uh, running around the church so fast nobody can see me. And, and, and you know, there's, there's that powerful presence of God that happens from time to time. But on Monday morning or Tuesday morning when you're going to work, to be totally empty when you were totally full Sunday, then you got a leak somewhere. <laughs> you might want to get out some gum or some something to stop that leak, you know, because, because it shouldn't be that way. <laughs> there has to be or should be that resident anointing. Now, I'm not saying that, that you're not going to have good days and bad days. We're going to have that. But there shouldn't be in the spirit with God working in us, there shouldn't be those huge highs and huge lows, that actually ultimately will damage your walk with God. So let me, let me get back to our notes. In Acts 5.15, it says, Inasmuch as they brought forth the sick unto the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing might overshadow them. Whenever I've read that scripture, I think about the fact that th there was just an anointing, a power within him, that he didn't even have to pray for somebody. He didn't even have to anoint them with oil. He didn't even have to lay his hands on them. There was something about what was going on inside of him that as he walked and just the shadow, the sun shining through him uh, and, and, and his body blocking, you know, the, 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 uh, the sunlight and that shadow falling upon somebody and they would just get up, they'd pick up their bed, they'd walk away healed by the presence of God. And so I'm not saying that, and I'm, and I'm not trying to prophesy or anything, that we all ought to have that type of relationship with God, although it would be great. There's nothing wrong with it. I wish we did. But the, the point is this, that, that he had such a relationship with God and such an anointing that just his shadow, uh, and, and obviously he wasn't the one that healed. It was God that healed. But it was through him and God using him. So do you think this kind of power anointing is an accident or does it just happen? I don't believe it does. When God says, I will heal their land, he says the decision to forgive facilitates healing. There, there's a, I want to go here with this. There's some things I really feel like the Lord wants to talk to us about tonight. Forgiveness will allow you to conquer, to overcome, and to destroy the yoke of shame. And as I was re-studying and re-going over the lesson today, the Lord really kind of keyed in on that as to talk about shame tonight, and I'm going to do that. Shame is probably one of the biggest hindrances in the walk of a child of God. You all got that? Shame will keep you... Uh, from freedom and can cause you to fall short of complete effectiveness. I, I believe the devil has a way of browbeating us because of our past. I, I, I think he has a way of, of making us feel unworthy. And so that shame, that unworthiness, and I didn't say it before, but I welcome those that are online listening as well. And I hope you get the spirit behind what I'm talking about today. Uh, shame will keep you from full effectiveness in the Lord. 
if you let it. I think if I ask for everybody or people to raise their hand, have you ever done anything that you're ashamed of? Would you, you know, I mean, I think it raised both hands and both feet, you know, ten fingers and ten toes. And, you know, so uh, every one of us has done things that we are ashamed of, right? Let me ask the question this way. What, is there anybody in in the sanctuary or maybe even online? I know I can't see if you raise your hand, but um, if a video of your life, of the low points of your life, of the sinful things that you have done, if there was a video of it, how many of you would want people to see it? <laughs> not, not any one of us, I don't think. And, and so... Going back to our notes, shame says you are defective, and there's some fill-in-the-blanks here. Hopefully you have a pen uh, with you, but shame says you are defective. I'm going to really try to spend some time here because I believe people struggle with shame. So shame says you are defective. Shame can cripple you. That's the other fill-in-the-blank there. It makes you feel like God can never really use you because of your mistakes. Jesus gave his life and shed his blood on Calvary to facilitate your forgiveness and to remove your shame. Do you all get that? Look at Joel 2, 26. And you shall eat in plenty and shall be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be ashamed. And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. God doesn't want you to feel ashamed. He doesn't want you to be crippled in ministry or crippled in your service to God or your walk with God because you think I can't really represent the Lord because of who I was and what I did. That's not what the Lord wants. Often when you try to step out and be used of God, the enemy reminds you of your failures. Does that happen to anybody? All right? That's really not the will of God. He is trying to hinder your effectiveness as a child of God. Let me say it like this first. He wants to hinder your walk with God first, and your effectiveness next. Because if he can hinder you, then, then the things that God can and will and wants to use you for won't happen because of shame. So let me say this again. So often when you try to step out and be used of God, the enemy reminds you of your failure. So I want to ask maybe a couple people to respond if you're willing. Why? Let me say it again. Often when you try to step out and be used of God, the enemy reminds you of your failures. Why is that? Does anybody want to uh, touch on that real quick? To prevent you from accomplishing God's will in your life. Exactly. Anything else? To prevent you from accomplishing God's will. Okay. If I don't see anybody else getting up, let me move on. So Satan would like to keep you from your full potential. That's another fill in the blank here. He would like to keep you from your full potential. In the freedom of forgiveness, there is no skeletons in your closet, only trophies of his grace. 
That's one of our biggest problems is, is we got these closets in our mind, in our hearts. And, and behind that, that dark door are things that we have done, things that have happened to us, things that others have done unto us. And, uh, and, and so we, we visit that closet from time to time and we open up that door and there's skeletons in that closet. How many of you have any skeletons in your closet? All right, Sister Marie. No, the thing that, tr that the Lord is trying to get us to do is to bear that to him, open up that closet to him. Uh, he's not going to shame us when we do because he loves us. He loves us too much. He's too careful to hurt us. And so, you know, one of the things that he reminded me last week I said, he is not ashamed of my scars. He is not ashamed of my hurts. He's not ashamed of my pain. He's not ashamed of my past. He said, don't, don't leave your head down. Lift up your head. Lift up your head. Because he's not ashamed of us. He's not ashamed of who we are. So if we, if we know that he has our best interests at heart, then we can open up those closets because he doesn't want to hurt us. He just wants to clean it out. He wants to get that junk out of there. And he just wants to pour his healing ointment over us. And shame is not of God. Shame is of the devil. And the only reason why he brings it into our lives is because God has a greater purpose. When you feel the attack of the enemy, it's because a blessing has already been released on your behalf. And he can't stop it. He can just try to hinder you from receiving it. Excellent point. Um, what, what happens is when, when we, uh, how can I say this? I, I want to try to feel what the Lord wants to say. Is when, when we have that closet full of skeletons and we don't open up the door and let the Lord just kind of deal with all that stuff, then it's that that is going to continually walk with us every day, every week, every month. And what's going to happen is the moment you start stepping out and doing something from the, for the Lord, listening to the voice of God, listening to what God wants you to do, practicing your anointing, practicing your calling, then the devil's going to come along and he'll open the door. So I feel this to say this in the Lord. Either you open the door or the devil's going to open it whenever it's convenient. And he'll open that door and just allow you to get a glimpse of your past just long enough to say, oops, I can't really be used by God because I'm not worthy because of my shame, because of my past. I had somebody uh, uh, some time ago say, say something right along these lines that, that this person felt like they were unworthy because of their past. And this is what I said to them. I said, your past doesn't make you less, um, being less able to be used by God. It, it, it lets you be more able to be used by God. Because now you can minister to people where they're at. 
And when the time is right, not that we're going to blab our whole past to everybody, but every once in a while you're going to be praying with somebody or talking to somebody or ministering to somebody, and you can bring up something that happened in your past that is going to help them. And so you could either let it be a, a, a stepping stone to something greater or a hindrance. It can e Either it's going to be something that is going to uh, allow you to get higher and deeper in the presence of the Lord and in your walk with God, or it's going to be a wall to you that you can't get through. And so uh, let, let's go on. It says uh, Jesus took Satan's power. He took the keys from him. He, Satan, has no control. He has no authority. So when the devil starts talking to you, remember this. The only reason he's talking to you is because he's either trying to discourage you or he's trying to keep you from doing something that God has called you to do. However, if we harbor, notice this, if we harbor unforgiveness, bitterness, or resentment, we, in a sense, give Satan his weapons back. It's almost like, well, we know, the, we know the Lord took, you know, we should feel sad for Satan because he doesn't even have the keys to his own house anymore. Jesus took Satan's keys. And if, if you can kind of picture this in your mouth, in your mind, um, Jesus took the keys. He gave us the keys. He gave us the keys of what? The kingdom of heaven. All right. And so we have those keys and we can use those keys, but. Whenever we allow shame to overcome us, it's almost like we hand the keys back to Satan and say, okay, go ahead, you've got the keys to my closet now. I don't believe that's the will of God. And so in 2 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11, it says, to whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. That's really interesting. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgive I it in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should get what? What does it say here? An advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We shouldn't be ignorant of the devil's tools. He doesn't have any new tools. He's been using the same tools since the beginning of time. And so, Sister Marie, did you have a comment? And so remember, he doesn't have the same tools he uses against me, he uses against you. That he'll use against your children. He'll, he'll use against your friends and your, your, your fellow uh, saints in the church. Yes. You know, I mentioned this today during the devotion. This is the reason why Stephen, when he was being stoned, he said, Lord, do not hold them accountable for this sin. Do not hold it to their debt. And he was referring, what we've been talking about is Deuteronomy, in I believe it's chapter 15, about releasing the debt that our brothers or sisters, that, that we have, that they have, you know, that we're holding against them. Because the Bible says that there should be no poor among us. Nobody in the house of the Lord should be poor. Everybody should be overflowing with forgiveness and the blessings of God. And the moment that we hold unforgiveness, what we're doing is that we are closing the blessings of God in our lives. Nothing is pouring in and nothing can be poured out. And so when Stephen was being stoned, he said, Lord, don't hold it to their debt. He said, I'm going to release them. 
because I don't want it, anything to have a foot. I don't want the devil to have a hold or anything against me. And when we forgive, we can't say, Lord, now get them. I forgive them, but get them. It's no, I want them to be reconciled to you as well. Because if I forgive, then you're going to forgive me and you're going to forgive them too. And this is Easter week. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them for they what? They don't know what they're doing. And so when we grasp that thought, that idea, um, and I'm going to kind of take a little side road here for a minute. Statistically speaking, and I, I don't have the, the exact statistic, but at least half of the people in church have suffered some kind of abuse whether it be um, some kind of a violent attack or, um, you know, being molested or uh, physical abuse, verbal abuse. And so the shame that comes along with that, and I, I don't want to dredge up nasty things here, but I think it's important to kind of let some things out in the air. Um, that... And my mom was always like this. How, by the way, let me ask this question. How many of you grew up with Mercurochrome? Do you remember what that was? That red stuff that stung like the Dickens? I mean, it was, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, you got a scrape or something, and they'd pull out that little bottle of Mercurochrome. It had that little plastic stick in it, and they'd wipe that, and, of course, your, your, your knee would be orange for a week, you know. And, and uh, <laughs> I mean, it was just nasty, nasty stuff. And... I remember my mom saying, this is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me, you know, and, and, and so, uh, and, 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 of course, then they put the bandage on, the idea of the bandage is to protect it from getting dirty and things like that, but I, I always remember that, that, that uh, my, my mom would tell me, you got to take that bandage off and let some air at it, you got to let it get some air at times, and, and so sometimes we need to let, let the air, the and let, let uh, what has happened to us out into the air so it can heal. We try to keep it covered. We try to, and again, I'm not saying you need to go out and blab, blab your business to everybody unless you feel led of the Lord to, to let other people know. But sometimes you just got to let it get some air and, and let God actually heal it instead of just covering it up. And, and so look at back in our notes. It says, what? Uh, 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 we don't want to give the enemy an advantage in spiritual warfare. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But what are some of the ways we can give Satan an advantage over us? Anybody? You know, you know, um, even if you don't want to go to a microphone, maybe you could just raise your hand and kind of uh, shout it out. But what are some of the ways we can give Satan an advantage over us? Yes. Lack of prayer. Okay. Anybody else? Is it backslid? Okay. Uh, when, when people back away from their relationship with God and, and, or, and or walk away from God? Absolutely. Yes. Believing his lies gives him an, an advantage over us. Anything else? How about sin? Sin in our life will give Satan an advantage over us. Rebellion. You know, the... Uh, 
the Bible says, you know, the way it reads is rebellion is, this, is as the sin of witchcraft. But when you really study it out, it means rebellion is witchcraft. And so rebellion is it, kind of like <laughs> handing the devil your gun and saying, here, play around with this for a while. Um, and, and so unforgiveness is something else. So how do these things give him an advantage? For instance, unforgiveness. How does unforgiveness give the devil the advantage over us? Anybody? It allows, in my, in my opinion, it allows him to have a foothold because now we're harboring bitterness, resentment, anger, all of those things that the Lord doesn't want us to have. And, and so now he has something to grab a hold of and he'll twist it and turn it, and he'll play it. He'll play it over in your mind, over in your heart. Uh, you know, whenever the opportune time comes, and all of a sudden you'll just kind of back up, back away and say, all right, I'm really not good enough to be used by God in this way. And so God can empower us to forgive and to love people we never thought we could love. So going back to what I was thinking of a few moments ago, is sometimes people have gone through horrendous um, situations in their life, physical abuse, psychological abuse, uh, mental abuse, whatever you may call it. Um, and so they bear that shame. And in talking to people many times over the years, what I've learned is this, is many people feel like, that they were the culprit or they were the one that opened the door to that abuse or that neglect or whatever it was, um, that, that they opened the door to that molestation. I mean, how can you open that door when you're four years old? How can you open that door when you're six years old? How can you be the one that's at fault because of what, and I'm going to come out and say it, some pervert did. You know, I, I, I know that's hard language, and, uh, but we're adults here, so let, let's kind of put this out in the open. We, we've got to understand that, that there are people in our world that do evil things, and as a result of that, um, it, it causes shame to the point there, there are some people, men and women, that go from relationship to relationship because they're so broken they don't know how to have a good relationship. They don't know how to have a good marriage. They don't know how to have a good family. There's some that, that had no father or had no mother. Maybe you're brought up in foster care or, or, or you know, by family members or whatever it might have been. And as, <laughs> excuse me, as a result of that, don't worry, it's not COVID. I had that a few weeks ago. So anyhow, <laughs> anyhow, <laughs> but, but I, I want you to kind of grasp a hold of this, that there, there's something, there's almost like this foothold that crushes your heart, it crushes your spirit, it crushes you in your mind, and, 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 and you're thinking, I can't do good things because I'm not a good person. Well, Scripture says there's none good but God. And I'm not saying we don't have to be good people. But what I'm saying is don't let the devil define who you are. 
Don't let the devil define what you are, Sister Marie. Good point. Let, let me, this kind of be a little bit of a gross uh, uh, description here, but I want you to kind of grasp this. Um, the, the Bible tells about Satan's darts or arrows. Now, for an, for an arrow to be effective, it usually has um, a barb on the end of it so that it goes in and won't come out. And so the scripture talks about the devil's fiery darts, things like that. I want you to think of it like this. If the devil is firing arrows at you, he, the, the tip of that arrow is designed to damage you. Now, I want you to get this picture. Sometimes you can't pull that arrow out. You have to push it through. That's the only way of getting it out. I'll never forget one time when we were out fishing in the ocean, we had my boat and somebody else's boat, and, and uh, I believe if my memory is right, uh, Mike, Mike Gonzalez, yeah. Uh, so he had one of those center column boats that had the what we call these torpedoes in it, so you'd have all those fishing poles sticking in those tubes. And so he was walking around his boat, and, and somebody, the way they had hooked up the lure, it was kind of hanging there. As he walked by, it got him in the ear. And so, you know, everybody's there's like three or four people on his boat a few people on my boat and everybody's like oh no we got to go home and he's like no we're not going home we just got out here and so he's got this big torpedo lure with treble hooks hanging from his ear <laughs> and if, if you know a hook it's got it's got a barb on it so it goes through the reason they have a barb on it. So when you catch a fish, you don't want the fish to just shake it off. So it's got a barb on there so it doesn't come off easily. And so he's got this thing hanging from his ear, and, and somebody, I think, is pouring peroxide on it or whatever. And, and, and they're going, like, what are we going to do now? And people are coming over there with screwdrivers and, and clippers and this and that, trying to figure out what to do. And finally, somebody said, well, let's clip off the, the – uh, the barb or the, the part of the hook there, be you know, <laughs> that's kind of hanging in his ear. It was really kind of gross. But anyhow, you know, so he comes up with a pair of pliers and clips that hook and then just kind of pulls it out. Couldn't pull it out past the barb because it was going to do more damage. Had to pull it out the other way. I know that's kind of a gross illustration, but those fiery darts that come from the devil, you know, they're designed to cripple you. They're designed to stick and to stay and not come out easily. But it has to come out sooner or later. And so the idea, and I want to kind of bring this out, is, is that when somebody has something horrific happen in their life and forgiveness is needed, 
And I, I remember preaching a message about forgiveness one Sunday morning, and I know I've used this illustration a few times, but I remember that person walking up to me after Sunday morning with tears in their eyes and anger on their face. And I remember, like it was yesterday, that person saying, I will never forgive that person for what they did to me. And I said, but the Bible says if you don't forgive, you can't be forgiven. And with, with such anger and depth of, of um, hurt, that person said, I will never forgive that person. In fact, they actually said to me, you have no right to ask me to forgive them. And I said, I'm not asking. The word of God is asking. The Lord is asking. And uh, sadly, that person walked away from God just a few months later and hasn't, hasn't served the Lord since. And it's because unforgiveness. Uh, and, 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 you know, so if, if we're going to really get anywhere with God, we've got to learn what forgiveness really is. So let me ask this question. When we talk about forgiveness, does that mean you will forget the incident or you will forget the harm or the situation? Um, maybe sometimes it's, uh, but, but I think in most cases, you're, you're not going to forget it. You can't forget it. It's almost like it's branded on your brain. But here's, here's what I'm trying to get at. Even though you may not ever be able to forget it, you don't have to continue to be the victim. Yes. Right. I, I, I agree with that. So let's go back to our notes that says maybe you need to visit. Now, this is going to be sensitive. All right, but I, I'm going to say it. Maybe you need to visit a graveyard where somebody's body lies and pronounce your forgiveness to that person. That sounds pretty crazy, doesn't it? But what if it allows freedom in your life? They can't hear you. They're not going to hear what you're saying. They're dead. They're gone. They passed years ago, months ago, centuries ago, whatever. And so by going to that place, I'm using a graveyard, but it, it could be anywhere. It could be the house you were abused in. It, it, I mean, it could, be the, it could even be the person that's still alive and just making a, a proclamation. I'm not saying you have to. I, I don't want you to get me wrong. I'm not saying you have to do this. But for some people, they need to. To go over to that grave and to look down at that person's name and say, I will not allow what you did to me to keep me bound up anymore. I forgive you. That will free you. It's not going to... I mean, they're dead and gone, you know. I mean, you can't go burn the house down where you were abused. <laughs> I know I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm really being kind of, you know, forward in this, but I want you to understand 
So uh, let me go back to Noah. So maybe you need to uh, visit a graveyard where somebody's body lies and pronounce your forgiveness to that person. Perhaps you need to make a phone call, write a letter, have a personal conversation with someone. One of these might or may truly set you free. And this is just kind of a, sam a sample prayer or idea, so I put it in here. Uh, it, it would be something like saying this, writing this, doing this. Uh, I forgive you, for, and you write in or say what they did. Uh, and from this day on, I will no longer be hurt by what you did to me. I am free from your hold on me forever. Does that sound like it could help somebody? I believe it could. In Luke 6, 37, it says, Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. So here's three dimensions of love. The first, and this is uh, something that was talked about recently, first love is filio, which is a friendship. Uh, and these are Greek definitions. Eros is another, which is that romantic, sexual-type love. And then there is agape love. God's unending love or a love without motive or agenda. I love that definition. It's love without motive or agenda. The word agape is now not found in Scripture until Jesus introduces it. In Romans 12, 9, it says, let love be without dissimulation. I'm going to talk about this for a few moments. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. So dissimulation means without motive and without strings attached. For many people to love someone, we've got strings attached. And so it's almost like we've got one of those little puppets with the little you know, thing you control it with, and it's got strings, and you can move its arms and its legs and everything else. Uh, what happens to many people is if we offer love at all, it has strings attached. If I do this, I expect that. And so with God's love, it has no strings attached. God's love doesn't say to you, unless you're a preacher, I can't use you. God's love doesn't say, unless you're a praise singer, unless you're a Sunday school teacher, unless you do this, unless you do that. That's not what God's love does. God's love frees you from your past, from unforgiveness, from, for, from bitterness, so that you can be effective wherever God is going to use you. So agape love is the, is, um, is the only love God can use to empower us. We have the human ability to filio love, that means to love like a friend. We can also eros love, which is that romantic love, However, to agape, agape love, it can only come from the Lord. Now, I need somebody, I know I don't have this scripture down, but can somebody go to Matthew chapter 5? And I want you to read it out loud for me. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, if you don't mind. Uh, and so let me get back there. So we have that human ability to love, which is that friendship type love. Eros, which is that romantic type love. However, agape love can only come from a relationship with the Lord. So uh, the, here's another scripture. You might want to write it down on your notes here. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, 
and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if we love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. I think this scripture goes along excellent with what Brother Cross was preaching Sunday morning. You know, uh, there's so many people in our world that have um, love with strings attached. And so if you're good to me, I'll be good to you. If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. And it's kind of funny the way he says it. Don't the Gentiles, don't the publicans even do the same? You know, uh, what, what the Lord is saying is I'm bringing you up to another level of love that you can love people that won't love you in return. That's real love. That's real friendship. That's real uh, commitment to serving God. And so, <laughs> you know, sometimes people say, in their, in their mind they say, you know, hey, I'm going to invite that person out to dinner, so they're going to invite me out to dinner. Well, what if they never invite you? Then you're going to lose a friend, you know. Uh, and, and so I, I'm, I'm trying to get that across a little bit. So we have uh, actually look at Deuteronomy 6 and 5. It says, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And then Matthew 22, 37 through 40 says, Jesus said unto him, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Notice this. Again, this goes back to what was preached Sunday morning. Verse 39 and the second is like unto us, unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So let me ask you this question. I'm going to read more in just a minute. Who's your neighbor? Can anybody answer that? Even if you just kind of raise your hand and say, who is your neighbor? It can be anybody, right? It doesn't just have to be the, <laughs> the neighbor in the next apartment over or the next house over. And so... Um, uh, so who is your neighbor? So, uh, and with the second, second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. What, what this is saying is if you love God and if you love people, that takes care of all of the commandments right there. If you will do that, then all that other stuff will take care of itself. In fact, I'll even kind of narrow it down a little bit more. If you love God with all your heart, that will take care of everything else. Uh, but, you know, obviously the scripture is powerful and, and, and we believe what it says. Uh, so love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. That's what we have a problem with. Sometimes we have issues with loving, loving our neighbors, but it's sometimes easier to love our neighbor than it is to love ourselves. We're walking around as wounded warriors. We're walking around because of the shame and the guilt and everything else. And so we can honor other people, but we can't honor ourselves. And so when somebody says something nice to us, we think, what's their agenda? What's the, <laughs> you know, they're waiting for the other shoe to drop to say, <laughs> you know, uh, they, they say they love me or they, they, they they're, you know, they're, 
concerned about me or this or that, but what are they looking for? Do they got something in mind that I don't, you know, and, and so you kind of get where I'm coming from. And, and, um, and so for, the mo for most of us, I'm trying to watch the time, for most of us it's easy to love God. Most of the time we can love our neighbors, but it's hard loving yourself. Jesus said everything hangs on this love. Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. Our level of intimacy with God is where everything else starts. When we're head over heels in love with Jesus, loving your neighbor and loving yourself is easy. There may be areas in your life that are very hard to take. You might have experienced abuse, molested, or something may have, somebody may have hurt you in unimaginable ways, but Jesus wants to heal your heart. So time does not heal all things. <laughs> I know you've heard it before, time heals everything. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's, you know, it can make it worse sometimes. Yes, Brother Steve. Uh, and, and so, you know, somebody loses a loved one, and we, we just kind of say to them, well, you know what, it will get better. Well, sometimes it's not going to get better. I mean, ultimately, you'll be able to deal with it, but hurt is hurt, no matter what hurt for, uh, form, uh, what form hurt it, it takes. And, and, and so, uh, at some point, you can allow God to, to, uh, you know, come in and push out the pain. And, and so, I'm going to try to talk about that in a moment again. So, time does not heal all things. Things can only be healed by the Lord. That's the bottom line. But. Uh, but that healing needs to start with your willingness to love and to forgive others. So healing is a result of a disciplined decision empowered by God's Spirit. Uh, I'll try to get touch on that too. Unforgiveness towards God shows, your, uh, shows itself in rebellion. You know, I... I, I I forget which book it was in right now, but uh, I talked about forgiving God. And the idea of forgiving God, um, I think it might have been in, in the book Why. Um, the idea of forgiving God, some people, you know, kind of look at me with, like, what are you talking about, forgive God? Well, let me ask you this question. How, and you don't have to raise your hand or, or particularly answer it, but uh, I, uh, let me say it like this, more like a statement, is that um, many people who have had tragic things happen in their lives in some ways kind of blame God because he allowed it. And here's the problem, y you know, let's talk about losing a loved one. Nobody's going to live forever. No, not, not, hey, guess what? You know, you're going to croak someday. Not, not to hurt you or offend you or anything else, but you're going to die someday. And, and, and I am too. And everyone will pass sooner or later. And, and some people are going to have accidents, and there's going to be tragedies and sicknesses and things like that. Just the fact that there are tragedies and accidents and death doesn't mean that God is absent. 
And so what we have a problem with sometimes is attributing God's ability to be a healer with the fact that he didn't heal. But just because he didn't heal a particular situation doesn't mean he ceased to be the healer. I think every one of us, if I were to ask you, have you ever been healed by, God, by God's healing power, by his stripes? I think every one of us would say yes. But there have been some situations where God doesn't heal. That doesn't mean that he ceases being God. And so um, in Psalms 27 and 8, it says, uh, When thou saidest, uh, Seek my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Rebellion says, I don't care what the Lord thinks or what the Bible says. I'm going to do what I want. Loving others and loving self must come from an overflow of the love of God. When you love God so much, it overflows into all other areas, and then you can begin to love even those who have hurt you. I'm going to close out with this scripture in 1 John 4.20. It says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother. This, I think this was one of those scriptures that you used Sunday, Brother Cross, wasn't it? I, I believe that are pretty close. But First John 4.20, it says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. Yes, you did use it. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Brother Sam, do you got a comment? Um, I have a question that was brought up. Uh, it says, Do you have to be friends after forgiving someone? That is a great question. And I, I believe the answer is no. You ought to be able to hopefully be in the same room. You, you should be able to walk down the street without crossing the street because they're coming the other way. That kind of stuff. Uh, but that was a really great question, whoever asked that. Um, and, and so, so um, do you have to be friends with that person? Think of it like this. If somebody abused you as a child, does that mean all of a sudden you're going to be inviting them over to Thanksgiving dinner? Not necessarily. Now, it, it can. It can. But what I'm trying to say is this. If you can't be in the same room, then you haven't forgiven. If you couldn't potentially invite them over, it doesn't mean you have to. They, see, see, that's where we get a little mixed up. We think all of a sudden we need to kind of forget it like it never happened. No, no, that, I think there's that's, that's where we need to learn and, and grow is, is that, um, you know, we need to release it so it no longer cripples us. But some people are just evil. And, you know, it, it's kind of like, and I'm going to get Sister Marie here. Think of it like this. Um, if you know somebody is a thief, don't invite them into your house. <laughs> you know, I mean, why, you, you know, what do you want to do? Show them all your stuff and say, by the way, I keep a key under that rock right there. And I'm usually out at work from, uh, from 8 a.m. till 5 p.m., so... Go ahead, steal my stuff. There's the key. Here's the house. I'll even show you where all the good stuff is. I mean, that's kind of stupid. <laughs> Sister Marie. Um, 
to be careful, like you mentioned. We don't, we don't need to be friends, but if the thought of having them over, like you mentioned, still makes you cringe, then that means you haven't fully forgiven. doesn't mean you haven't forgiven because forgiveness comes in layers, and you have to. It's a healing process. And so when it comes to mind, you have to constantly forgive. It is scientifically proven that a person cannot forget. You cannot forget, but you can let go, and you can release it to the Lord. And that's the thing. We, don't, we haven't learned how to release those things. We want to keep a hold of it because we don't trust that he's going to take care of it the way we can take care of it. But we have to release those things because we can't take care of it. We're finite. We're limited. God isn't. And so if we release it to him, then he can allow us to forgive all of it. With that being said, you know, the scripture says, in my father's house, there are many mansions. But if you look, the word mansions, it means rooms, not little homes separate from each other. So when we say we're going to be living together with the Lord in his house, that means we're going to be across from each other, down the room from one another. Are you going to be able to live next to that person? This share the same house, possibly the same floor? And so we need to be able to look at that person and say, I love that person. I love that person. Doesn't matter. You know, just release them. Release them unto the Lord. Release that debt that you're holding against them. Right. Right. Um, I'm going to talk about disqualifying here in just a minute. So remind me, Brother Al, did you have a comment? Yes, excellent point. Um, and and I, I want you. I want to kind of just. I'm going to close with this thought: is that um, let me put it out like this. If you know somebody is a child molester, shame on you if you let them be ba babysit your kids. Okay. All right. And one thing about. The United Pentecostal Church and how we license ministers, I very much appreciate, is that we will not license somebody that has been convicted of child molestation. They can't get a minister's license. Sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? Well, you know, that type of crime, that type of moral failure, uh, although God can forgive it and the person can be forgiven, um, God help the organization that licensed somebody and they fall back into that. Um, so it doesn't mean that they can never be used by God. It just means that they're not going to have the same credential as somebody else that hasn't committed that hor horrendous thing. And so I know it's kind of a low note in a way to, to end the lesson on, but in a way it's a high note in the sense that, that, you know, God can and will forgive anything and everything, but sometimes the sins that we have committed in our past 
will cripple our future depending on how severe it is. Um, but there's always forgiveness by the Lord. And we ought to forgive one another. We're brothers, and we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. And, and so, so we ought to be able to forgive and to release so it no longer cripples us. Does that make sense? All right, I went a little bit over. I apologize for that. Next time I get an opportunity, I'm not sure when it will be, we'll review the lesson and then go over and finish it. But I, I knew I wouldn't get any, anywhere near the end. So uh, let's all stand. Appreciate everybody. Remember, tomorrow night we have a missionary. Look, Really looking forward to that, um, although we can't tell you where they're a missionary to. Um, I'm excited to have them. It's going to be a great time. And then, of course, our, our watch night service as well. So God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. A watch, I said watch night. Good Friday. You know what I mean. <laughs> Sorry. God bless you.